Welcome to Out of Home Insider, the first podcast for media and marketing executives that connects how offline attention drives conversion. My name is Tim Rowe, and for the past four years, I've been interviewing guests about their unique insights in bridging this misunderstood and undervalued opportunity for brands to create alchemy in the real world. Today's guest is Mike Pollack. Mike is the CRO at Grocery TV, one of the biggest in-store retail media networks in the country. We talk a lot about scaling media companies and the importance of focus on product and how distribution is a superpower reserved for the bold and how to create it. We deep dive on the buzz around retail media and how the majority of retail shopping still happens offline and break down how measurement is driving adoption by marketers for digital networks like Grocery TV. That's a lot to think about, but the big idea I invite you to focus on is just that. Focus. Where's yours? Is it aligned to your highest purpose? Is your team focused on the same objectives? Do you really have product market fit or just traction and a false positive? How will you get to whatever the next level is for you? Focus. So without further ado, let's go. Welcome everybody to the Out of Home Insider Show, a podcast like no other, hosted by the one and only Tim Rowe. ready to have some knowledge dropped on you and to be entertained because nothing's more valuable than food for your brain so sit back relax we're about to dive in as the best industry podcast is about to begin mike pollack is the cro of grocery tv an in-store retail media network with over 19,000 digital displays across more than 200 retail partners in nearly 4,000 stores where shoppers rack up get this an astonishing 270 million monthly visits. And today we're going to unpack three keys to successfully scaling modern media companies, the importance of having systems and a defined product for your business, the leverage that distribution creates, and we'll finish strong with a rapid fire retail media Q&A, talking about the current wave of innovation and focus and the biggest challenges facing adoption of in-store retail media. Mike, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Tim. It's a pleasure. It's going to be fun. For folks that maybe haven't met you yet, give give listeners the the origin story on you. Sure. Um, God, I've been in the digital media business for a little over 20 years, or media business, I guess I should say, because uh, I started my career at a company called News America Marketing. It's now known as Neptune Retail Solutions, where we own the advertising rights in 60,000 stores, primarily for analog signs, promotions, et cetera. Um, supporting CPG brands um, across the country. We had a print advertising business and then uh, spent a, a long time there kind of selling, working with some of the world's largest CPG clients and ultimately uh, created our digital media business and saw that scale. And I spent my last few years trying to figure out ways to be able to marry all the good things that come with digital media, like automation, programmatic uh, buying and uh, real-time triggered advertising and blend that with the four walls of the grocery store. So I did that for my last couple of years, working on some pilots. Ultimately, we got acquired by private equity and moved over to a mobile ad tech company called Ogre for two years, ran US sales, and then kind of got pulled back in to- uh, Back to the dark side. Yeah, to, to, to the, the, the opportunity to really digitize kind of uh, in-store experiences and met the uh, CEO of, of Grocery TV and have been here for the last 10 months or so trying to you know scale this business and having, having a ton of fun along the way. Incredible and, and such deep expertise in, in a fast growing segment, something that's obviously been around for a long time, retail media, but 
has really accelerated over the past few years. And we'll talk about that, uh, you know, here in, in a few minutes. But specifically, I want to start this conversation off with, with kind of that first pillar. You, you and I, when we were catching up, uh, we talked about the, the time you spent in News America, almost two decades at News America. And the thing that stood out to me was how having a system, how having a product unlocked so much value internally, externally. And I thought that we could have a conversation starting there. So maybe what's your take on that? Like News America, systematized product, what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you start on the product side, then you can look at the people side. So on the product side, yeah, News America ultimately owned the rights, and I mentioned, for advertising and promotions in 60,000 stores. So I had a really strong product, um, had a dominance in, you know, in that particular area. On the print side, we uh, printed coupon books called Smart Source Magazine, distributed mm. them in newspapers across 70 million circ every single Sunday. And they were one of really two companies that kind of uh, you know operated in that business. And so we, we were quite dominant in the areas that we, um, that we operated. And so really strong product, really strong market fit. It gave us the right to be able to very often sit on site a lot of our biggest clients because they were spending a ton of money with us and they saw us as really valued strategic partners. So fast forward then to the people side, you know, I think what, what they did, and this goes back many, many years at this point, but at the time really kind of created this sales development program where they recruited sellers out of college. So people had literally zero experience for the most part outside of internships, but they had a process and and a, a practice of being able to bring people in, train them, develop them, give them the school, the, the skills and the tools that they needed to be able to succeed. And so what they ended up ha- what ended up happening was they had a system that primarily promoted people only from within. And there's pros and cons to that type mm. of system, as you can imagine. But what you had was a really well-trained sales force that operated the way that, that, that ultimately would drive success. And it drove loyalty and retention. I mean, the fact that I was there for nearly 20 years, that was not an abnormality. That, that was actually quite the norm. Um, in terms of the way that they develop their people. And so in a world, especially today, where you have very little loyalty, uh, kind of having the right product and then having the right process in terms of how to develop talent was was really impressive. And something that stood out in that is, as you're retelling that is, it sounds like they identified a few products that they could be the absolute dominant market leader in. Is that is that a fair statement? Very much so. It was kind of like um, almost at some level, you know, call it the Procter and Gamble approach, right? Procter and Gamble only really wants to operate in categories that they dominate, that they're either kind of the one or maybe the two. Um, and, and usually they'll exit if, if they're not in that kind of position. And yeah, News America at the time was was pretty similar in those two areas, really, really well-developed products in very specific areas uh, that ultimately drove their success. So how do you apply that framework or that thinking today, maybe in what grocery TV is doing of that of focus, very specific focus? We're going to be the number one in this category of Jack Welshian type of idea. Yeah. I mean, I think I think about the term a lot, like focus and sacrifice, right? If you focus on one thing, it usually comes at the sacrifice of something else. And you have to have the discipline to say, we're going to do this. And we recognize that there's going to be a trade-off that's going to come at the expense of these other things. So fast forward to grocery TV, I mean, we're super focused on one thing and one thing only, which is 
the digitization of in-store experiences to be able to support retailers, to be able to provide a better way to communicate with shoppers and a better way to monetize their in-store audiences and then give brands a really broad reach um, of highly valuable audiences inside the, the four walls of the store. There's a thousand things that we could be doing, um, but instead I think we've stayed really disciplined to be focused. Um, and you can always build from there, right? But you got to do something, you're going to, you know, my, my philosophy, you want to do it well. I think that that's a really valuable takeaways. A lot of people talk about focus, but it's rarely discussed. What does focus come at the expense of? It's the sacrifice of other things we'd rather be doing or would like to be doing or think would be cool, et cetera. How do you, from an organizational standpoint, how do you build that sort of focus through all the levels of your business? Yeah, I think one of the things that we've done, and I give a ton of credit to our founders, they've been very intentional in every single decision that this company makes. And, um, you know, we're, we're still, you know, relatively speaking to other orgs, still, you know, a smaller company, but the intentionality and decision-making has been quite impressive. And what that, how that manifests itself is really clear objectives, right? Really clear. People make fun of sometimes mission or vision statements, but you have to say, what, what are we designed to be able to do? And then what are the priorities that fall under underneath that? And so that does, you know, ultimately result in, OKRs, here are the objectives, and then here are the key results of how we're going to measure. And if it doesn't ladder up into these areas, you know what? It shouldn't be a priority right now. Right. And so, you know, you've got a lot of conversations that say, could we do this? Could we do that? Sure, we could, but should we? <laughs> Does it make sense in terms of the framework of what we're trying to accomplish? And I think you have to have disciplined leaders that are willing to say no and willing to forego opportunities sometimes to competition. Um, you know, but you don't want that to come at the expense of what is it we want to do and how do we want to show up? It's consistent. You see it oftentimes in the world of finance or traders specifically having rules for your decision-making. And, 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 and that's, that's I guess kind of what we would put that in the box of more than just having a mission statement or here are our company values. No, these are the rules by which we make decisions. And if it doesn't fit into these parameters, then it doesn't work. That's right. Now, I mean, I think it's rules, it's priorities, and it's even being able to build then repeatable tasks. Like what's a repeatable process to be able to go out and continue to scale? Those things are, are I think, incredibly important and sometimes can, can be the difference between a company that does scale successfully and then, you know, a lot of the startups that ultimately don't make it. Let's transition and, and talk about that. When we talk about scale, really scale equals distribution in a lot of ways. And having a focus from a company perspective allows you to to really hone in on what that product is and how, how what's our go-to-market strategy? How do we talk about this? That's a huge unlock just right there in itself. Let's focus on, on a few things that we're good at or one thing that we're good at. But then how do you go about creating distribution so that you can scale? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for us, distribution is stores and audiences, right? How many stores are we in? That translates to the size of the audiences we're able to reach. Um, and, you know, distribution is everything, you know, the, the old like chicken or the egg. Um, but you have to have distribution to be able to generate brand interest, right? Because brands have lots of different ways they can spend money, lots of different ways to reach audiences, um, but they want to spend their time in the areas that can do that kind of at scale. And so, um, you know, we've had since our founding, like a very, very intentional approach to how we were going to build distribution. And we built our distribution, I think, very differently than a lot of other um, companies that 
tend to focus on the biggest retailers first. We kind of started with some of the smaller retailers, really got the learning that we needed, um, started to get our feet wet in a little bit of a, you know, a, I guess, lower risk way. Um, and then took that and went from, you know, tier three or tier four retailers to, to regional retailers, to power regionals, and ultimately to, to the nationals. Um, you know, but we've kind of been very intentional in saying we want a diversified set of supply or a diversified set of, um, of, of, of overall reach that's not completely dependent on just one singular retailer, um, but doing it uh, across many. So distribution has kind of been at the forefront of, of how we've thought about our business. So some diversification in there probably de-risks the overall kind of portfolio of, of audiences in space that you have. Maybe just for the folks that are listening that don't know the retail space as well, could you define those tiers so they have a little bit more familiarity with what that is? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the top, you've got you know the, the tier one retailers that you know usually are operating somewhere in a thousand plus stores, uh, you know, in a, in a, a big part of the country, and so that could be your WalMarts, your Targets, your Krogers. Um, I'm thinking about in the grocery category, you know, Albertson, Safeway, Ahold. They own a lot of different stores, usually. Um, both organic and also through acquisition, but they've kind of really got, um, you know, a massive amount of reach. And then you go down from there, you've got, you know, what I would call power regionals or some of the tier two retailers. So retailers that are really dominant, but just in a specific market. So that could be like a wake fern in the Northeast. It could be a giant Eagle um, in kind of the Pittsburgh Cleveland area. It could be a smart funnel on the West coast or Southeastern grocers in the Southeast. Um, and then from there, you've got wholesalers and independent retailers that um, kind of are sometimes a conglomerate of, of, of smaller chains um, that might have, you know, 10, 20, 30 stores. And then you've got a whole bunch of independents underneath uh, underneath that. Wow. Thank you. That was a master's class in itself. I think that that's probably a huge unlock for a lot of the the local and kind of regional account executives. I'm thinking back to, to kind of my days there where there's this, you know, kind of direction of, hey, we need to sell the space to big national retailers, understanding how those things start to start to get segmented, I think is really, really valuable insight. Thank you for for indulging there. So from from maybe starting out, maybe there's somebody listening to this that has a small network. Should they be focusing on is it is it getting more venues of a similar audience in and in a, in a defined geographical area, how do you think about maybe going from 50 locations to 500 Yeah, on the way to 5,000? I think it comes down to, I don't know if there's a, a, a one size fits all answer. I think it comes down to objective. Who are you, who are you trying to serve? Right. Mm. And so for us, we looked at and said, okay, the brands that we are trying to serve, we want to stay focused, you know, kind of within that grocery or, you know, subsection of, 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 of category. And we're going to go really deep and build a diversified portfolio um, across that. But I think it comes down to the objective. Who's your audience? Who ultimately, um, you know, are, are you trying to sell to? So I'm not sure if there's like a perfect um, answer. I think I'd say don't let it happen accidentally. Uh, because I that's, think that's kind point. of <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes you can just go where the where the opportunity is, but then you end up building a network of kind of disparate parts that don't really kind of come together. And so um, I think stepping back and, and, and trying to make sure, going back to what we talked about, having a framework of what the priorities are, what do you want to be, and then building um, from there. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, 
we kind of just checked off those first two pillars. So what do you say we talk retail media? It's the topic of conversation in every room, every circle, uh, on, on everyone's tongue. So my favorite topics. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, we, we were joined, uh, or we joined, I suppose, rather the incredible team at Placer AI a few weeks ago. And they put together this great list of questions for the webinar that we were on. And I, I went through and kind of picked my favorite from those. And I thought we could you know, create a, recreate a dialogue about those things. So why is there so much buzz around retail media, both online and in store? It's always been there, but why now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think with retail, let's start with retail media. I think the, the buzz is because the growth is unbelievable. Um, it's very quickly become the second fastest growing major ad format after uh, connected TV and is projected to be the fastest by 2025. It'll surpass linear TV. Um, so retail media networks, they're addressing a need in the marketplace. You've got deprecation of IDs and cookies, which means it's harder for brands to be able to reach specific audiences. And retailers have a whole bunch of first-party data that they own um, that is really, really valuable to brands. So you've got this like contextual relevance of where you're reaching somebody because they're in the buying mindset. You've got massive audiences, and then you've got performance. And so retail media networks have done a really good job of being able to um, show the value of what they're doing. And that's where you're seeing the growth. It works and it makes sense. Um, but most of them have follow, followed the Amazon model. I know what you're buying. I know something about what you're searching for. I'm going to reach you online. But they've ignored the physical in-store audience. And you know, as you know, as we talked about, 85 to 90% of consumer packaged good volume is moved still in the physical store. Right. And so you've got this the, 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 these retailers that are trusted areas in the community where um, you know 70 plus percent of decisions are primarily made. You've got the massive amounts of, of, of purchases happening in their store. There is an opportunity to be able to rethink about how you address those audiences and how you uh, message to them. And I think that's where you're going to see kind of this next evolution of retail media is focusing on, you know, it gets overused, but Super Bowl size audiences that show up in these stores every single day. I like that Super Bowl size audiences. It might be used often. I don't use it enough. I'm going to add it to the repertoire. 12 cents on the marketing dollar today being spent on retail media networks aggregate. It'll be 16 cents on the marketing dollar by 2027, according to Group M. And when we think about out of home, struggling with share of wallet, 4 to 7%, give or take, the growth is obviously there. How does out of home tap into this moment? Yeah, well, I mean, I think what 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 out of home has done is they've built the model, right? So out of home as they've transitioned from traditional analog to digital, what digital out of home has done is it's unlocked growth because it's made it super easy for brands to be able to transact, right? So you've gone from these individual media owner plans, and now you're able to transact a whole bunch of audiences and networks really easily, the same way that you're buying every other media channel. So the same way that you're buying connected TV, mobile, desktop, you can now buy out of home. And then kind of within the out of home sub-segment, yeah, you've got place-based advertising. And then within that, you've got grocery advertising. Ultimately, I think you're going to see a breakdown of silos, I think, right? Like what's out of home versus what's digital versus yeah. what's CTV. And I think there's a lot of kind of um, murkiness that's that, that's evolving. And so I think over time, though, um, the, the the tech will make it easier 
And then ultimately, brands will be able to step back and say, where should I be investing? What's the best use of my uh, of, of my marketing and media dollars? And obviously, I've got a lot of conviction for what that grocery channel can be, whether you call it out of home, whether you call it retail media, whether you call it just media, which is ultimately, I think, the classification. Just falls media. Yeah, I like that. The reintegration of teams, too. It seems like maybe the long tail to this is that campaigns just get better. If we can get, hey, uh, agency economics, we've got to, you know, make some headcount decisions here, but we're pulling in teams that were traditionally siloed. Now we're all sitting in the same room, executing against the same objective. Now we can have truly integrated campaigns. Perhaps what's old is uh, becoming new again. Yeah. Well, when you think about in store, I mean, really what you want to do, you have an opportunity right now to pull through that campaign that you're running across all these other channels and make sure it's deployed when the buyer's in the buying mindset, where the product is shelved, there's an incredible opportunity to be able to do that, but it does take coordination, communication, and, and, and improved structure. Second question, what is different? And maybe we covered off on some of this. And what's different about this current wave of innovation and focus compared to maybe what was being done a decade ago, two decades ago? Yeah, I mean, that's the world I came from, right? I mean, historically, in-store marketing was, was static ads, and that could be a coupon, it could be a, a shelf talker or yeah. an add-on, an end cap. Um, but from a marketer perspective, it usually meant it was either a price promotion or kind of a simple claim because you didn't have this big opportunity for brand building. And then you had to plan campaigns in creative way in advance because it was analog. You had to print something, ship it, install it. And so today, with the digitization, um, all of a sudden, you've got dynamic, real-time triggered, large digital canvases that allow you to tell, as a brand, tell a story. Um, and so it's no longer just this lower funnel conversion tactic, which it does well, but it's actually part of kind of overall brand building. And so, um, you know, and, and like I mentioned earlier, I mean, it's transacted programmatically. It can be transacted programmatically. And so it looks, feels, acts like media. Um, and that's a far cry from, I think, what historically had been referred to as shopper marketing. Um, right which was very specific about how do I move more volume in a particular store through price promotion. Question number three, what is the biggest challenge you've seen in driving wider adoption for retail media, specifically inside of a store in the physical environment? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge has been matrixed orgs. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean. And I think this is going to change. On the retailer side, listen, these retailers that go back to, you know, as mentioned, tier one retailers, those are big companies. They've got a lot of different stakeholders. They've got folks that are in charge of retail media. They've got folks that are in charge of in-store operations, um, marketing. You've got merchants. You've got divisional presidents. Everybody kind of has a, a role there. And they're big and it's hard to coordinate and it's hard to ultimately kind of, you know, make these types of decisions. And so I think you're seeing some structural changes that are going to make it easier. But I think that's been one of the biggest challenges to unlock growth has been how matrix and how, you know, frankly, sometimes slow moving you end up being um, as a result of that structure. And then on the brand side, I think also you've got these silos between retail media, digital media, digital at a home, mm. you've got programmatic yeah. teams. And so it makes it a little bit harder to, I guess, again, move fast because you've got expertise living in silos versus being spread across, if that makes sense. Makes sense. How about measurement? How are This is outside of the rapid fire question, but something that you made me just think of there. How about measurement? How are brands measuring the impact? Yeah. So 
it comes down to objective. Um, if it is an upper funnel objective, which is more about, you know, awareness, you can measure utilizing survey-based data to better understand the impact of the message on purchase intent, awareness, recall, some of those kind of like upper funnel traditional branding metrics. If it's more of a, we need to drive volume, we can look at incremental sales lift, looking at control versus variable store level testing. We could use frequent shopper card data. So you can get pretty sophisticated in terms of how you kind of tie back performance to the objective. Um, and so we, we've seen that evolve a lot. And then I think the next step for the industry is to continue to standardize what that looks like. And there's a lot of press right now on the retail media front around trying to come up with more consistent ways because I think every retailer, every you know ad tech or media vendor like ourselves kind of has a little bit of a different nuanced way of looking at it um and to be able to scale a business you need a little bit more consistency across all different channels what's something that has surprised you most about adoption so far i think two things i think on the retailer side that it's been a little bit more led by some of the long tail or smaller retailers um, and i think oh, it interesting back- I think it goes back to them being, you know, in some cases a little bit more nimble, or, you know, maybe a little less matrixed. So maybe it shouldn't be that surprising, but I think that was a little surprising to me. And then on the brand side, the fact that for us, I mean, we're focused on grocery, but the majority of the media buying right now is non endemic. Um, so when I say really? non endemic, it means like, you know, brands that aren't stocked in the store. And I think, again, it goes back to the matrixed orgs. Where if you're a bank, if you're a credit card company, if you're an insurance provider, you don't have all these different teams of retail media versus media. They just look <laughs> yeah. at it and say, this is a really valuable audience. Wow, these are household decision makers that are buying not just groceries, but also the ones that are influencing or driving the purchase of an insurance plan, other. an automobile, other kind of you know life decisions that, that occur. And so they look at it. We've got great dwell time. We've got an audience that's already in a buying mindset. Um, and this is the audience that I want to reach. And so they've kind of led the way a little bit, whereas I think consumer packaged goods um, is catching up a little bit on, on how do we structure most effectively to buy this? And, and you know where does it sit within our, our, our org? Bringing us home. This is the big one. What's the one thing you wish that partners or brands retailers what's the one thing you wish people understood about retail media in store in 2023 and going forward i think the biggest thing right now is that in store digital in store media doesn't have to just be retail media it, 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 i get back to what i said it's media it's just media it's a, it can drive an outcome for a retailer or, you know, for a brand's objective at a specific retailer that looks like retail media, or it could be an extension of your media campaign, the TV ad that you're running, the mobile display ad that you're running and tying it into the store. Um, it comes back to objective, but it could be full funnel. It's not just lower funnel. Um, it can effectively, you know, create awareness um, that ultimately will drive performance down the road. And so I, I think it's been mischaracterized a little bit um, as only being retail media. And I think that's, you know, some, somewhat limiting. Thank you for dispelling that. And now we have it. It's on the record. Uh, we can package this up and make sure that everyone gets a chance to hear it and see it. Mike, for folks that want to connect with you, learn more about Grocery TV, give them the Latin long. Where, where should they go? 
Yeah, uh, they can email me, Mike at GrocerySTV.com. They can find me on uh, on LinkedIn, um, and uh, you know our website obviously has a, a ton of information. But you know, look forward to connecting with folks. Cool. We'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes, so it's convenient. Nobody has to uh, pull off to the side of the road to write anything down. Mike, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Tim, appreciate it. Always fun talking to you. Absolutely. If you found this to be helpful, please share with somebody who could benefit. As always, make sure to smash that subscribe button and wherever you're listening, leave the podcast review. That's how you help us grow. See y'all next time. Quarter century, I finally came to my senses. I finally got my hand up on the tinted Benz kid. I see the world clear through my tinted lenses. With the dream and the drive, the possibilities endless. Now print that, send this all the way to Tokyo. Take a trip down south, down to Mexico. Next stop, Shanghai, the world-class trade show. First class all the way, cause that's how we roll. Yeah, call us the rockstar businessman. Rocking shows we handle business, man. We got our own future in the palm of our hands. Cause divided we fall and together we stand.